Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to this very special edition of Atlanta Business Radio. It's actually time for ATDC Radio. We are broadcasting live from down here at ATDC. Stone Peyton Lee Cantor here with you. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast founder and chief seer with Data Sears, Mr. Adwhite Joshi. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Well, Adwhite, before we get too far into things, can you share a little bit about Data Sears? How are you serving folks? Absolutely. So uh, about three years ago, I was just sitting there and thinking about, you know, how much fraud's happening out there, how much compliance issues we have, money laundering, human trafficking, drug trafficking, you name it, right? And there is so much money being spent on it today, yet the problem doesn't seem to get any smaller. It seems to get bigger. So it made me just think, what is going on? And that gave rise to data seers is if we can handle the data, we can actually solve a lot of problems. Now, is it because there are just so many bad guys? There's so much money flowing through here, and the bad guys are just just kind of relentlessly trying to... Absolutely. I mean, payments have gotten easier, right? You can move money fast. You can move it many different ways. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to go to a bank anymore. They don't have to bring cash. You know, right. you can use all these vehicles, m- transmit money over overseas, and just you know, stay under the radar. And then the, the customers expecting these transactions that happen in a blink... And uh, they're not going to tolerate waiting a long time for a transaction to occur. So it's putting a lot of pressure on the businesses to be able to allow them to buy the stuff as quickly as they want or transfer money as quickly as they'd like. Absolutely. And then that uh, gives a problem, right? So you are interacting very fast. You're doing all these things fast. Well, money disappears fast too. (laughs) Exactly. That's the bad part of that. So now um, how is kind of artificial intelligence impacting this or is it? Um, it is, right? So what we have today is we have very good data that can tell me what is good and what is bad. And with that, we can actually run some predictive analytics to see if a consumer is going to exhibit behavior that is suspicious. Our job stops at suspicious activity. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about whether it was fraud or not. That's up to the law enforcement, right? So if it's suspicious, we flag it, we report it, and we move on. But uh, how it is helping before, you know, machine learning and AI came into picture, people were just using plain rule-based systems. So let's just say that a rule was anybody who, you know, put more than a thousand bucks in their bank, I want to know about it. Well, guess what? You know, as as people started using more and more money and money started flowing, you, you're sitting here. There's too 10, many. Exactly. <laughs> right. and there's too much noise and these people can't sort through it. So now we are saying, well, that thousand number is not right. So most people said, okay, let's go to 5,000 now. Then let's go to 10,000 now. But then that's trial and error. Whereas a machine can specifically say that, oh, you know what? It's actually $997.25 is what you're going to look at, right? So that's where all this machine learning and all these algorithms come into play is that number can now stay dynamic. It can change over a period of time, and those algorithms will pick up the variances and actually give you less noise. And then that can change also customer to customer, right? Because one number in one customer might be the trigger, but a different number with a different customer might be the trigger. Absolutely. And not just the customer, right? Think about zip codes, what we spend in Georgia versus what we spend in California. You know, Mm -hmm. you might be buying milk, but it might be two different prices. It also depends upon, uh, you know, the time of the year. 
people spending changes during this time of the year, right? So that all makes a big difference. And uh, it also changes over a period of time. As economy is doing better, you're going to see a different spending pattern. When economy is not doing so good, you're actually going to see a different spending pattern. So all of those variables, right, make it very complex. And there's only one way to solve it is using machine learning and AI. So now how are the financial institutions really dealing with this? I'm sure they have people that are, this is all they think about 24-7. Absolutely. So when we talk about, the, give the example, right, it's the big guys. So most people look at the big guys as how is Bank of America and how is Wells Fargo and how is Truist and all of these guys dealing with it. Well, they have, you know, hundreds of people who are data scientists and they have billions of dollars that they're spending solving this problem. But guess what? There is 13,000 financial institutions out there, a bank or a credit union. And there is only about 100 that have these resources. What about the 12,000, 12,500 out there? They don't have the money. Right. So what the are they doing? Exactly. So they are the ones who actually get hit most of the times. And they are the ones who are oh, taking so the penalty. So they're the victims because they're more vulnerable. Exactly. So companies like us are catering to those uh, tiers, right? Less than $20 billion. You know, a bank that has only $50 million in assets should all have the same technology that a bank with a hundred plus billion dollars in asset does. Mm -hmm. So that's what we are doing is we are going after those which don't have the budget to hire those hundred data scientists to solve these problems. So now um, are they receptive to this? I'm sure they're, they want to try something, but they don't want to make a mistake. Absolutely. They are very receptive and it all goes in, you know, these community banks go hand in hand and, uh, you know, ICBA is involved in ATDC and it's those groups that you go to and basically tell them what you do and that makes it very relevant for the rest of them. They don't want to be the first. Nobody wants right. to be the first, exactly. right? So if, if somebody believes in you and it can be anybody, but one person believes in you, then that goes to a big level because these guys network, right? It's called as a community bankers association it's for a reason. in their name. Exactly, right? exactly. So now, um, so has that been your strategy to work with the community banks? That's the first kind of places you're mining for clients? Absolutely. We are going after the community banks and the credit unions who are smaller in size. Uh, that's that's our 100% focus today. So now, um, how do you work? So like, talk, take me through the conversation you're having with a community banker. Absolutely. So we are today going after people who are involved in payments a little bit, right? So think about a typical community bank who is involved in payments. Let's just take an example of one of our clients. They're sitting in Midwest in a small town of Ohio, population 800. Bank has been around for 150 years and has seven branches, right? $350 million asset bank. And they are issuing today on the payment side, they're issuing the Square Cash Card. They're issuing DoorDash. They're issuing Instacart and all these giant fintechs. Right. And all of those payments are now flowing through this bank. Guess what's the first question that comes to the play? What technology am I going to use? Right? Right. How am I going to make sure that everything And this is so different than anything historically they've exactly. ever dealt with before. Exactly. They don't have something to compare it to. Exactly. And there is a there is a rule, there is a law that actually makes it very attractive for these small size banks to enter the payments market, which is the interchange rule. So once you are greater than a $10 billion bank, you do not you get a flat interchange, which means no matter how much money was spent, you're going to get the same amount, whereas less than $10 billion banks get a percentage. So the more money goes through the system, the more money they make. So the most people that play in that space are smaller banks. Right. And more and more banks are trying to enter that market for that reason because it's very lucrative. Mm -hmm. But they lack the tools to stay ahead of the game, and that's where we come in. So now they say we're going to delve into payments, but we also have to protect 
ourselves. Absolutely. So then you're kind of going hand in hand with the payments? Absolutely. So uh, in fact, it's a very relevant conversation I'm having with hopefully our next client now uh, is they're trying to enter the payments market, right? So they come to us and say, okay, here are the things that we are trying to do and here are the holes that you are going to help us plug. So it makes a perfect sense. So we get involved with them at multiple stages. It's an either established bank that we go to and say, hey, we know the problems you have because this is what we do and here is what we can solve. Or we go to somebody who is getting started and we say, hey, here are the problems you're going to end up with. You promise you you're going to be dealing with this at some point. Exactly. And so we can help you, uh, you know, right from day one. Yeah, exactly. Now, is it ever the point where they said, hey, we're going to get into payments and then they tried something and it just is like a nightmare scenario? Um, Absolutely. And then you come in and fix it? Uh, It has actually happened. uh, But part first part of your question about whether it is a nightmare scenario just go to Google and type in any bank and type the word fine and you will see how much money, right? Wells Fargo was fined a billion dollars for UDAP violations, right? So we actually monitor for UDAP on our system, right? So if you if you have the system configured correctly and it's watching, you will never have a UDAP violation. The first time the violation happens, you will know immediately mm-hmm. and you can act on it, right? So things like that. So there is a direct correlation of money saved and issues. So yes, we actually have helped our clients um, who have been under FDIC uh, consent orders to get out of that consent order because we had a platform that just helped them tremendously. It solves that problem. Exactly. So now for you, is it just a matter of getting in front of more and more of these kind of community banks and credit unions? Exactly. So we have uh, our Gen 2 product is launching now. Uh, and once that is out there, we are able to drop our pricing so low that any community bank, it just becomes no-brainer. Just go online, put your credit card information, start using our product, right? Wow. That's what I wanted to get to is that a, a complex system like ours shouldn't require six months to a year to integrate. You should be able to start the same day you buy the product. Uh-huh. So we are there now with our Gen 2 product is just go there, type your credit card information. Here is my API, send the data, and we are up and running. So yes, now it's just pounding the pavement, going you know across the country and getting to all these and people. And there's tons of community banks, credit unions, right? Oh, absolutely, twelve thousand of them. Twelve thousand. Yep. <laughs> yep. So now, um, for you at this point, how did uh, ATDC contribute to your success? So ATDC has great programs. Uh, other than just having great mentors, right? They have these uh, trips that they organize. I went on two fundraising trips. Got to meet a lot of investors, although. We haven't raised money yet. It's just self-funded, right? It now? is completely self-funded. We have revenue, so you know we are growing, and we have two offices, Atlanta and Mumbai. But one of the things that you know helps us is when you talk to these VCs, when you talk to these investors, they're going to brutally break your company apart because right. that's their job, and it's exactly. just a good thing. You have to take that as a constructive feedback. So it has helped us tremendously re-engineer our next generation Because product. they're poking holes in it, and exactly. you're like, hey, we should fix that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, some people get discouraged. I actually get encouraged. I always tell right. people, tell me what's wrong about our company. Right. So I'll fix so it. Fix it. Exactly. Uh, and you know, they have such a great name, right? No matter where you go, I have traveled the world with some of the folks from the state of Georgia mm-hmm. and Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. ATDC has such a strong name across the world that it just, you know, resonates really well. And then that's something that other firms maybe in Atlanta don't appreciate as much that they think, oh, it's Atlanta, it's Georgia, it's not Silicon Valley, it's not Boston, it's not kind of these larger named cities like we're Atlanta, Georgia. In the South, you're not picturing that this is such a powerful brand, the ATDC, but it is. Right. And but look at it, right? Uh, Georgia is the uh, number one state to do business for the seventh year in a row, right? That's number one. 
Number two, we have the best school, Georgia Tech, right here, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have other schools that are catching up. You know, Georgia State is great. UGA is great. We have the world's best airport. And right. everything is right here. All the talent is here. And fintech is oh, right yeah. here. There's a lot of big fintech companies. Payments, right? We right. are we, we uh, The last metric that I heard was something like 60% of the U.S. transactions flow through Georgia because of all the people that are here. Mm-hmm. So you have the talent. You have the technology. And traffic's not that bad. You know, it's, it's, it's not it's the relative. best, but it's not that bad as compared to some of these other cities, New York City and San Francisco and LA right. and so on and so forth. And there is capital. So it kind of makes it very ideal for ATDC and other startups to kind of incubate here. Now, how does this come into play? We're talking a lot about uh, fintech and things like that, but this also touches human trafficking, right? Absolutely. So we are uh, kind of trying to solve that problem with a different approach. Uh, Our approach is simple. There is money behind everything. You trace the money trail and you make sense of that and correlate that data with other data that you have, you may be able to find. And we have found certain patterns uh, which suggest human trafficking, right? Again, our job is not to catch them. Our job is to report anything suspicious. Right. So when that's your target, that gives you a lot more flexibility, right? Suspicious is different than... You did it. Absolutely. And no bank uh, even is in that boat, right? Even a bank's job is not to figure out whether, you know, it's a it's fraud or it's sex, uh, trafficking or it's human trafficking, right? They report suspicious activity again. And it's up to the law enforcement to now take it over and say, okay, I'm going to study this and I'm going to go chase this down. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it is a little bit of an easier job, but the, the harder job is to actually figure out what is suspicious. There is no definition for what suspicious right. is, you know? what uh, A simple example of a... Uh, Human trafficking is, you know, you see a lot of hotel transactions, a lot of taxi cabs, a lot of late night bar transactions, and then money loaded onto a card. Guess what? If you're traveling for work, that's the kind right, of behavior you're going to see. Day, that's right. a normal day. So how do you separate those two, right? So that's where machine learning comes into play is that it specifically identifies that, okay, this looks like something that is suspicious and needs to be investigated further. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we're talking about uh, financial transactions that are typically credit card. But does this apply also to like those prepaid cards as so well? So we work in the Debit prepaid card? industry more than we work in the credit industry. Really? Believe it or not, because credit industry is very mature, right? So if you use an American Express card, I mean, I, I go travel internationally. The moment I try to do a funky transaction, it just blocks it. Right. right. And, and American Express calling you. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, on the prepaid market, it's a little bit different. You know, you your fraud patterns are a little bit different. Somebody is not trying to steal your card to spend the money because you have to actually load the money before you can spend it right they're trying to use your identity to do something hard to get the card and do something that you know if if they were to get caught they will go after you not after them right right? and there is no credit checks so if i were to get a card in your name all i would have to know is your name social and address which i can buy on the dark web for 50 cents uh or or maybe a dollar and that's it right and if you buy it in bulk it even gets cheaper so with all these hacks that have happened, prepaid has become a very, very, very interesting market. And if you look at all these retailers, there are retailers out there that will not accept a prepaid card. They will tell you that we only accept a debit or a credit. We'll not accept because a prepaid card. Because it's too much trouble. Too much risk for them, right? right? Uh, it's becoming more and more acceptable in the general industry now. But if you look at it, you know, it has so many various uses right from food stamps to you know government other government benefits to you know marijuana uh, there is whole cannabis pay going on right now right p2p transfers there's so many applications on that prepaid segment is what happening is 
that crack that was just this big between uh, you know debit and credit is now kind of become a huge right. market in a multi-trillion dollar industry. And then how does your software address that? It's, it, it doesn't matter? It's uh, kind of agnostic on that. At the, the end of the day, it doesn't matter for what a financial transaction is. It could be a debit, it could be a credit, right. it could be loans, it could be prepaid. But because our clients are mainly in the prepaid industry, in the payment space, uh, our algorithms have matured enough in that industry to look at a pattern and note it suspicious versus those patterns in the credit model would be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So now, how are you, as you're growing and as you're expanding, how are you just kind of handling all this data that's coming in? Is it is that a challenge? Uh, it's actually, thankfully, not a challenge. And here is why. We use HPCC Systems, which is a LexisNexis technology. So LexisNexis invented this 20 years ago uh, because they had a problem. They had a lot of data, and they did not know where to put it. Mm-hmm. So that system is amazing, allows us to handle at scale and at, at uh, velocity, right? So we don't have to worry about, okay, what am I going to do? As the data increases, it just naturally flows through the system. So on day one, we took that problem out. And we said, we don't have to worry about the volume and the velocity. And also the variety, right? That's why we call Taming the Data Demon, because we can handle the volume, variety, and the velocity right out of the box. And then what's the relationship with LexisNexis? So we use HPCC systems. We are uh, now a official reseller, right? So what we are trying to do is if I can make a decision on the onboarding side, right? LexisNexis has all this data in the world and we have built APIs. So if I can look at you and I can basically not let you in on the platform based on certain flags that I see, then I don't have to monitor you on my platform. I never let you in. Mm -hmm. The problem that is happening today is people are getting onboarded through all these various new data companies and tools. And what is happening is they're missing the basic fact that you actually did not do a good you know, validation, good due diligence. And now you're chasing them, you know, after, after the, the fact. fact right. Exactly. So you're doing a lot of vetting before at the beginning. Correct. So at the end, our theory is let us actually play in the whole equation. We'll from onboarding to account closure mm-hmm. will be, will be the only system you ever need. So now you mentioned the ease of use now. So a community banker that's interested in this or a credit union that's interested in this software, it's literally just go to the website Put in a credit card, and now you're—it's that easy to implement. Yeah, I don't have to. Talk Easier to my said agent. than done, but yeah. <laughs> see, there is PCI PII involved, right? So you know, I want to get to that point where they just go to the website, Excellent. sign up, and it's done. But you know, because of PCI PII, and of course, uh, FDIC now has come up with FFIEC, which is a guidance to deal with vendors. We always go through all this scrutiny, saying, "Are right. you who you are? Who has access to my data? Blah blah blah." And of course, in the wake of all these hacks, they want to be a little bit more. Uh, you know, safe than sure. sorry, right? But it is almost as simple. So it's not publicly available. So you can go and sign up, but once your data is coming in, those machines are not available on the common internet. So you would have to go through a whitelisting process and approval right. process. So that way you signed. can exactly. kind of protect the exactly. data exactly. and yourself. So now, so the first step, if somebody's interested, they go to the website, yep. datasears.ai. Yep. And we have a free demo. And a free demo. And then Click if it. they want, so they can kind of see it in action. Yep. And then they would have a call or somebody, yep. some interaction with you. Yep. And uh, we give access to our sandbox. Uh-huh. So our sandbox is completely open. And it's kind of cordoned off so they cordoned don't have off. to worry about anything. Exactly. We just tell them, please do not send any PCIPI data to right, our sandbox. Exactly. Right. Uh, so they send all the data. They see our system running. So they can see it in oh, yeah. real for free. life. Right. Exactly. For free. The, nothing required. No card required. Nothing. They like it. 
they want to go uh, live, they just tell us that, yep, we love this, we want to go live. All we tell them is, okay, this is the URL you were hitting before. This is the URL you're going to hit now. Everything stays the same. It's and now already you can send there. me PCIP. Right. Yeah, you're yeah, just exactly. kind of now. And then you're checking all the boxes they got to check to make exactly. sure it's vetted. Yep. Yep. And it's really that simple. It is really that simple. So what from what is typically the time it takes from when a customer or a potential customer is saying, you know what, I'm thinking about this, to, okay, it's in the sandbox, I played with it, I'm ready to go. Does that take six months? It take how long? Oh, no. It? Oh, no. The max ever uh, for anybody to go live is 90 days. And that's because they have way, way more complicated data inputs, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, it's less than 30 days. In fact, this past Friday... I gave a contract to somebody. The guy actually sent it back to me yesterday. His developers have already integrated into our system. So as soon as he is agreeing to everything and signs up, by this Friday, we'll be up and running. So a week. 40 hours. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's very fast. That's very personal fast. best, a week? <laughs> uh, well, yes. And I don't think you can even, I don't think you can crunch it below, right? Because the, most of the time is spent on the other side. Right. It's not you. It's, it's, it's right. legal, right? right? It's, hey, I need to see your audited tax returns. Right, hey, right. I need to see your, you know, SOC mm-hmm. compliance, this and that. That's what takes time. Sure. So now uh, it seems like you're right now at this point of inflection of where it, this is thing, it's going to blow up. Yep. We are, uh, we have a great 2020 ahead of us, right? We just opened up our Mumbai office six months ago. And we are heavily recruiting there. In 2020 Q1, one of our uh, colleagues from here, US, is she's going to Singapore. She's going to stay there for 90 days and get everything up and running, um, recruit and get us some traction going. And when you say recruit, what are they recruiting? Uh, mainly account executives for local business, uh, you know, pre-sales engineers and stuff like that. So uh, you're using kind of that same SDR approach that a lot of the SaaS companies are using? Yeah, because, you know, we want to develop all of our IP here in the U.S. Uh, most of the stuff that is done outside of the U.S. is ancillary services. They will never be able to figure out what's in its black box, right? right. And that's how we are keeping for IP enforcement and other things. Sure. Uh, and then we don't need to have developers all over the world. I mean, realistically speaking, that is that's just builds more inefficiency. Mm-hmm. We have two development centers. As long as we can have them strong enough, you know, great. You should be good. Exactly. And then, so you just need more salespeople. Basically. And whether they're prospecting or closing, it doesn't, you just need more. Yep. Sales and channel partners, right? Mm-hmm. So we are looking at channel partners who can actually say, okay, you know what? Don't hire a sales guy in Singapore. I'm going to be your channel partner. Right. I already have relationships with. See, because some of these Asian countries, not Singapore, but some of these other Asian countries, like you go to the smaller ones, there is other issues of, okay, what do I get out of this if I buy your product? And we don't want to be involved in any of that. It's illegal for us right. as a U.S. company. So if you have a channel partner and you say, well, I sell you my product for a dollar and I don't care what you Would do you, after that, that's on right? you. That's right. on you. Right. It's a much simpler model, especially in the Asian market. Uh-huh. And then so you're working on that as well? Absolutely. So we have identified a few uh, uh, reseller partners in that geography and we are pushing them hard, training them right now to kind of get used now, to it. Now, how are you doing in the U.S.? Like like you said, there's 12,000 uh, banks and uh, credit unions here. So it's just here in Atlanta, they're just making calls or do you have boots on the ground in these markets? Uh, today, our team is very small, right? We only have four salespeople total, total, total in the company. And so they're here in town? They are here and, in town. So we're going to events. for dollars. Exactly. <laughs> we're going to events. We are presenting, we are speaking, we are exhibiting and we are finding At out. kind of community bank trade shows and conferences. Exactly. Things Money like 2020 that. and other, other uh, right. events like FinTech South, which is coming up in April in sure. Atlanta, right? So events like that, then we, you know, kind of go from there and follow up. And that's been keeping us pretty busy. Mm-hmm. But now it's time to just go and hire like 10 or 20 people that are just going to sit there and dial these calls or right. just go to these banks and sell the product. Good stuff. Well, if again, if somebody wants to learn more website. Uh, datasears.ai. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today.
No problem. Thank you so much for having me. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on ATDC Radio.